Good evening, everyone. I'm a little disjointed tonight, so you'll have to bear with me. I had to switch browsers on my computer at the last minute, and I'm still like coming to terms with how everything works. I saw the stupid pop-up blocker things that always comes up, and they're like, please turn off your pop-up blocker to support our journalism. And I'm like, no, I refuse. I will always have a pop-up blocker. It doesn't matter what you say or do. We have to have the pop-up blocker. It doesn't matter. I, re I refuse to inflict ridiculous ads on everybody who watches all of these videos. There's just no excuse for that. So we're just a little behind tonight. I don't have an opener tonight, but I have to say that I am loving this evening sunshine. We uh, were out walking with Dot. We walked over to the dog park. We had a fantastic time going over there. Everyone always loves her because she is adorable. She's getting really good at walking and walking really helps get some of her energy out. So I'm really happy to do it with her. Um, she is so excited by like leaves blowing in the wind and by all the different sounds. She loves meeting people. She's a little ambiguous about dogs, but she is just in love with life and it's a lot of fun. I honestly cannot say that you should, I, I honestly can say that you should 100% adopt a dog if you have a chance. They are a wonderful addition to your life, but they are a lot of work and they can be annoying. So just be aware of that. It's a little bit like having, I think it's a little bit, probably a little bit like having a little kid. You have to be constantly on your guard. You have to keep all the chewable things out of their way. You have to move anything they could choke on. Obviously, you have to move all the cables they could accidentally choke themselves with. You basically just have to like baby-proof your entire house when you get a puppy, which is a lot of work, and there's always going to be something that you miss, but you just kind of have to do it as you go along and just kind of learn as you go. There's another way to do it. And I'm convinced that's a lot like parenting. So tonight we're going to do something a little bit different because I kind of pitched this on Twitter. I was like, you know, what should we talk about tonight? Um, and somebody said we should talk about the bank collapse, the SVB thing, the Silicon Valley Bank. And I personally am a little confused by all this stuff, but we did talk about it the other day on making the argument with Nick Freitas. So I pulled up a bunch of Federalist articles that will help make a lot of sense. Greg says cats are better. I love cats and I love dogs. We have one of each. Cats are a lot more like teenagers. Dogs, especially puppies, are like toddlers. Um, cats can give you your peace and your space, which is really nice sometimes. But a puppy is wonderful for like um, battling depression if you're having a really time just dragging yourself out of bed in the morning. The contagious joy for life that a puppy has is really, really difficult to compare to anything pretty much except maybe having a toddler. Um, I guess something like having a, I guess maybe like a ferret or a weasel, but they're considered dirty and they can be kind of bitey too. So I've never seen anybody really, really advocate for a weasel or a ferret or a stoat or anything like that. So I'm sure there are people out there who love them, but puppies, very, very good companions. Really looking forward to training Dot as we go forward. She's going to be an awesome little friend. She's going to really enjoy skating with dad when he gets back to it. So I'm excited for that. Username says, my dog chewed on the vacuum power cord while I was vacuuming. That's very dangerous. You've got to keep a very close eye on them. Michael says, good evening. Good evening, Michael. And we have a good evening from Tampa, Florida as well. We're going to be talking a little bit about Florida. We're going to be talking about what the Trump campaign is doing about Florida right now. Now, it's very interesting. I think you will be intrigued. There's some information in there you probably didn't notice. Um, I follow some of this stuff because it's inter-party drama that I really hate to see. 
Some of it's really just gross. So we'll cover all of that stuff. It doesn't really matter how you feel about Trump or DeSantis. We're just going to look at exactly what's happening and we'll decide if it's moral and ethical for these people to do these things. You guys can be the judge for sure. All right, let's get started talking about the bank stuff. I already retweeted Andy. Uh, I don't have it pulled up right now because I have the other browser, but we'll We'll go for it. All right. Their quote at the top of their page is be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray, which I really like. That's a very interesting quote there. The Federalist. I appreciate that. That's very cool. See, there you go. So you guys can see that too. Cool beans. Yeah. So this first article is the government's reckless monetary and fiscal policies led to Silicon Valley Bank's failure. That doesn't surprise me. Let me know if it surprises you. Let's read this from Helen. SVB invested too much of its capital in U.S. government-backed bonds and then became a victim of the government's irresponsible policies. Yes. So a lot of blame has been placed on the fact that this bank was pretty, pretty woke and they had some really kind of incompetent looking officers in charge. But here's what happened. This was an investment bank for small businesses and they ended up with a lot more capital than they expected. This is just my 30,000 foot view, someone who's not a professional or experienced with this. But they ended up with a lot more capital than they expected. So because they didn't have super hyper competent people at the top of the pile, they decided to invest it in a way that was with the the U.S. government. And honestly, even if they had had super professional officers in charge of deciding where to invest this stuff, they might have made the same mistake because they made the mistake of believing that the U.S. government was going to be stable and dependable when we all know that it's not. But let's continue. Silicon Valley Bank, the 16th largest bank in the U.S., collapsed last Friday, becoming the second largest bank failure in U.S. history after the downfall of Washington Mutual in 2008. Unlike Washington Mutual, SVB's failure is not due to reckless lending, but has much to do with our government's monetary and fiscal policies. Yeah, I could have told you that for sure, but she's going to break that down for us in detail. Headquartered in Santa Clara, California, SVB was once the largest bank in Silicon Valley. Its geographical location meant that most customers were tech startup entrepreneurs and employees. Due to the bank's unique customer base, the bank's recent boom and bust was especially beholden to the Federal Reserve's interest rate policies. Now, That's something I'm not very familiar with is the interest rate policies. I'm not entirely sure how this affects all of this stuff, but let's continue on. If you guys have input, by all means, let me know. Three years ago, in response to COVID-19 pandemic, the Federal Reserve cut the interest rate to near zero and flooded the U.S. economy with cheap money. Oh, tech startup companies thrived as investors were willing to fund higher risk ventures when the borrowing costs were low. Matt Levine of Bloomberg explained that back then, those tech companies could easily raise money in the stock market, so they didn't need to borrow money from SVB. Instead, these companies deposited their new wealth with SVB. Thus, SVB saw its deposits grow, right, so this is what I was talking about, from $60 billion by the end of the first quarter of 2020 to about $200 billion in just two years. Wow, that's a lot. Having too much cash can be a problem. Unable to grow its loan portfolio fast enough, SVB faced limited choices for generating returns with its cash holdings in the zero interest environment. Okay, so they wouldn't be able to fully loan it out properly because they wouldn't be able to get interest on the loans that they gave. That's my understanding. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. The bank could have kept its assets in short-term bonds or cash to meet its customers' withdrawal needs, but these options meant very little return on investment and wouldn't make SVB's shareholders happy. Additionally, SVB's customers were flush with cash, so they didn't need to withdraw from SVB. 
Consequently, SVB invested a bulk of its assets, about $128 billion by the end of 2021, in long-term U.S. Treasury and government-backed mortgage securities because those investments were considered safe and guaranteed higher returns than short-term bonds. There you go. So they invested in long-term government-backed mortgage securities. Interesting. These are all terms I'm so unfamiliar with, but the way Helen's explaining it really helps. I appreciate that, Helen, over at the Federalist Helen Rally. Besides probably concentrating too much of these longer-term investments, SVB did nothing wrong. It wasn't the wokeness that killed them. This is what I was saying. I was like, okay, that's crazy. But I honestly think that if you broke pretty much any modern bank down to the degree that SVB has been scrutinized, you'd probably find a lot of the same. We literally, I personally literally left my previous bank because they were starting to get visibly woke from the outside. And I was like, if I can tell that they're getting visibly woke from out here, how woke are they on the inside? That makes me nervous. I don't trust them with my money. I want the people who are the most competent to be handling my money. I didn't have a lot, but I was like, look, I'm trying to make the responsible choice here. I don't need people who are virtue signaling nonstop. However, the Biden administration had launched several rounds of COVID relief stimulus packages and sent more money into the U.S. economy system, economic system, despite the warning of inflation risk. As the inflation rates in the U.S. began to rise, predictably because they pumped the economy full of newly printed money, the Federal Reserve initially deemed them transitory, which was very interesting to me because I was like, what would make this transitory? We dumped a ton of additional money into our economy. Where is that money going to go that the inflation is no longer an issue for us? For us, I didn't see it. To me, that said that the Federal Reserve was being incredibly partisan. But as we all know by this point, and Andy will tell you in the chats for sure, there is no one holding the Federal Reserve accountable, which is very interesting to know. The Fed kept the interest rate at zero during the first quarter of 2022 and continued its purchase of billions of dollars of bonds every month to pump more money into the U.S. economy. It wasn't until the end of last spring when the U.S. inflation rate reached a four-decade high that the Fed finally realized that they had misread the situation and began raising interest rates aggressively to try to tame inflation. That's what they do when inflation starts to go up. They raise interest rates. Forced to sell its bonds. Here is something everyone should know about bond investing. Bonds have an inverse relationship with interest rates. Okay. That means if the interest rate rises, probably your bond is worth less. That makes sense because you buy a bond at a certain time. And especially if it's a long-term bond over the course of that time, if inflation has been rising or sorry, if interest rates have been rising, that means the bond itself is worth less. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just spitballing is kind of what makes sense to me. When interest rates rise, bond prices fall because investors can invest their money elsewhere to generate higher returns. SVB's long-term bond investment portfolio started to suffer losses on paper. There would be no actual losses if SVB could hold these bond investments to maturity because the bank would get its principal back plus income, interest income. But SVB's customers, those tech startup companies, could not wait that long. They had difficulty coping in a rising interest rate environment because higher rates meant higher borrowing costs, higher operations costs, and less demand as customers cut back spending. That's right. This is all of the economic factors coming to bear on SVB as as a single bank, but I'm sure this affects all the banks. This is just because they chose to sink so much of their funds into these long-term government bonds. 
Additionally, investors are less interested in pursuing high-risk investments when they can easily earn 4 or 5% returns with short-term U.S. Treasury bonds. Right. So the appeal is for the short-term. Unable to raise money in the stock market, SVB's customers began withdrawing their deposits from SVB. Yeah, that's called a run on a bank when everybody gets the same idea at the same time. And this is why everyone was trying to calm the public at large. Nothing is wrong. You don't need to worry. Nothing is going to happen to your money. Don't go get it out of the bank. Don't worry about it. And it's because they don't have all of these funds available at one time because of what they refer to as, if I'm understanding correctly, fractional reserve banking. Now, As a foray, I will say that because the government has bailed this bank out, it doesn't seem to me that fractional reserve banking is a thing anymore. You don't have to have any money available to give to your people now. You just have to say, oh my gosh, we need help. We don't have this money on hand. Government swoops in, helps cover everything for you. And as you probably know, every time you go into the bank, there's a little bronze plate that says insured by the FDIC for up to $250,000. And that's fine. That's great. But a lot of these uh, startups had a lot more money in the bank than that. And the bank was just going to be like, I'm sorry, we can't guarantee anything more than $250,000. That's where the federal government swooped in and said, we'll cover everything. Don't worry about it. But let's go on. For instance, okay, to meet with these withdrawal requests, SVB had to sell a portion of its long-term bond holdings and turn its paper loss into an actual loss. Yeah. For instance, last week, the bank had sold a large chunk of its securities worth $21 billion at the time of sale at a loss of about $1.8 billion after tax. As SVB's loss from its bond holdings became known, investors dumped their shares and drove down the share prices for SVB. SVB's plan to raise capital by selling additional shares failed. More tech companies continued to withdraw deposits from SVB, and thus they unintentionally started a typical run on the bank. According to the journal, SVB had a negative cash balance of close to $1 billion at the end of last Thursday after its customers tried to withdraw $42 billion that day. Holy crap, that is a huge run on the bank. Wow. By noon last Friday, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, that's the FDIC, took control of SVB and transferred SVB's assets to a new entity called the Deposit Insurance National Bank of Santa Clara. Many of SVB's customers worried that they may suffer losses for their deposits exceeding the FDIC's insurance cap of $250,000 per depositor. Right. Wider ramifications. Undoubtedly, SVB's collapse will affect the U.S. tech industry the most because many startup companies' founders had their money and that of their companies with SVB. Gary Tan, president and CEO of Y Combinator, a Bay Area venture capital investment firm, summarized how SVB's failure would affect the industry in a tweet. Here's Gary. The real victims of the SVB fallout are the depositors, startups, 10 to 100 employees who cannot make payroll and will have to shut down or furlough next week. If these startups wait weeks and months for their deposits, we will have destroyed a generation of U.S. startups at random. And he's not wrong. And this isn't this these people's fault. Like this, I'm not sure. Well, the title of this article says to assign the blame to the government's reckless monetary policy. So let's read what she has to say about that. So here we go into where the government steps in. 
To calm the nervous depositors and prevent any additional runs on the bank, U.S. Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen, yay, wonderful, Federal Reserve Board Chair Jerome Powell, yay, and FDIC Chairman Martin Grunberg issued a joint statement on Sunday declaring SVB's depositors would have access to all their money starting Monday and that no losses associated with the bank's resolution would be borne by U.S. taxpayers. Not sure how they could guarantee that unless they're just talking about using printed money. Additionally, the Federal Reserve announced it will make available additional funding to eligible depository institutions to help assure banks have the ability to meet the needs of all their depositors. Oh boy, here comes Senator Elizabeth Warren. Was quick to accuse Republicans of pushing for weak capital requirements at exactly the wrong time. Silicon Valley Bank's collapse underscores the need for strong rules to protect the financial system. Her diagnosis of the cause of SVB's failure couldn't be more wrong, and the cure she offered wouldn't have prevented its downfall. SVB collapsed because it invested too much of its capital in U.S. government-backed bonds, trusting that they were safe investments. And that's the rub. Trusting the U.S. government with Joe Biden at the helm is a horrible, horrible business decision and life decision, period. And I think that's a very rough lesson that the investors at SVB learned for sure. Then it became, okay, yep, they they trusted the safe investments of the U.S. government. Then it became a victim of the government's reckless monetary and fiscal policies. This is from Helen Rowley. She's a CFA. She's an American entrepreneur, writer, and speaker. Cool. She's a senior contributor to the Federalist. Thank you, Helen, for your wonderful article. So that was a super interesting article to me. That was something that I enjoyed reading before we started today's show. Let me know what you guys think about it. Andy is tweeting or sharing zero hedge articles with us. Yonks cast says it's your money, but you can't have it. That's right. Because the bank doesn't have it. So this is something that I people, I think people really have a hard time with. So you put your money in a bank so the bank can invest it somewhere, right? Um, and you choose a good bank. You choose people that you trust to do that for you. And sometimes when you go to withdraw, that is the fractional reserve. So they're only required to keep a fraction of the money that you put into the bank there in the bank on hand, right? Okay. Tracking, at least this is how it makes sense to me. Now, if you go in and you say, I need all of my money at one time, and you only have like $5,000, that's not going to be a problem. But if you are 600, 600,000 different startup businesses in Silicon Valley, very lucrative area, very important booming economy down there or booming industries down there, or they were before they started to fire all of these people, which I would also chalk up to their ridiculous, you know, zero interest hiring stuff that we just learned about in that article. Um, you're going to have a serious problem because the money just isn't in the bank. It's being invested elsewhere. And especially when it's being invested in a long-term bond, especially a bond tied to the U.S. government. I would never trust a bond tied to the U.S. government. Keenan says, I would obediently watch the 30-second ad, but not the three-hour ad. I'm not sure what you're in reference to. Yonks cast, they invested in woke nonsense. They got rid of their risk assessment. Yes. So like we read the other day, for something like nine months out of 2022, they didn't even have someone who was evaluating their risk assessment. Like crazy, crazy stuff. So this is certainly not, they're certainly not innocent in this regard. They certainly should have been considering that they should not have been focusing on the woke stuff. I feel like a lot of these companies focus especially on the woke stuff so that they can say to the government, look, you have to bail us out because look how woke we are. We're doing all this stuff. We're checking all these boxes. So I think that the wokeness is a serious issue in ways that people don't even realize. Like it's a very real world problem. There's a reason that there are 
they're reducing the amount of pension funds that are being invested in DEI stuff because it doesn't give good returns. Like a lot of states are outlawing it altogether. JJR says, hello, hello. Sorry, I'm late. I'm sorry you're late as well. Glad you are here now. Username says the Biden admin also changed the definition of recession. We've been in a recession since last summer. I'm inclined to agree. And as I said before, I am shocked they didn't think that inflation would be permanent. No idea why they thought that. Stuart says, where did the money come from? Oh, that's right. They borrowed it from our future. Of course they did. Of course they did. Unhiley Snipes says, Unhiley Snipes says, howdy, howdy from Tucson. Again, sorry, I'm late. I'm sorry you are late too. Welcome in. Tucson is wonderful and sunny. Yonkscast says, Andy, would you suggest investing in crypto? Tim beats around the bush. That's because you don't want to give any kind of financial advice on your show. So I would recommend if you are interested in investing in crypto, reading all about it. I know you're going to read a lot of contradicting issues. I think it's probably a really good idea in general, 100% of the time to diversify your portfolio. And that means stuff like concrete investments in stuff like gold, silver, precious metals. You could probably buy land. That would be a great investment or would have been like 10 years ago. A lot of different options. Crypto is probably not the only choice. I don't think it's ever a good idea probably to have a single point of failure. And I think this applies to more than just your portfolio. I think that applies everywhere. Like I love and appreciate everything that Elon Musk has done, but I don't like the idea of having a single person to decide the fate of free speech. Like I don't think that's a good thing. Who knows if he's compromised? Like we've seen him make, you know, kind of sketchy off the wall decisions. His most recent baby mama was a crazy looking character who actively endorsed communism. And that's a crazy choice of partner to carry your child to term. It's crazy to me. Username says, personally, I don't like crypto, but that's because I like physical money. I do too. I like actual precious metals. Need some more of those. Keenan says, nobody noticed when the government reestablished slavery. Pepperidge Farm remembers. Not sure what you're in reference to. Yonks Cast says, physical money loses buying power. Yes, it does. I like the idea of having an asset like land. And he says, crypto is definitely the future of money unless we enter a dark authoritarian hellscape. Kind of feeling like that right now, but we'll see what happens. Username says, real gold is crazy yellow and light. It almost seems like it's fake. Crazy. Keenan says, I'm sorry, the prisoners with jobs. Yes. So, you know, it is what it is. Yonks cast said, I had a lot of Bitcoin, sold them, got them lettuce fingers. Yeah, well, Bitcoin is way, 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 way down recently. So I don't, can't really blame you. But yeah, interesting. Very interesting. I'm not sure what happens next. We'll touch on this article. It's kind of similar. Let me see what the next one is. Yeah. Okay. So don't blame depositors for bank failure. Blame Biden and SVB management. This one's from David Sachs. It's important to understand SVB's failure didn't arise from risky startups doing risky startup things. And I think that's a great point because you know, that's exactly what the left is going to be saying. This is a failure of capitalism. We shouldn't allow people to have these crazy startup ideas. Of course you should. That's how how capitalism progresses. It's how people gain wealth. That's how we make the world a better place by taking risks. It's painful for me to watch so many smart pundits and politicians on both the right and the left buy into the media narrative that seeks to blame, quote, wealthy speculators or tech bros or venture capitalists for a banking crisis that ultimately started in Washington. Let me explain. If you want to extend, if you want to understand the context for the crisis, look at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation chair's March 6th testimony a week before the Silicon Valley Bank's collapse, where he explained that banks were sitting on $620 billion of unrealized losses from long-dated bonds. This provided the tinder for the crisis. Interesting. 
the FDIC, the FDIC says the current interest rate environment has had dramatic effects on the profitability and risk profile of banks funding and investment strategies. So they had it at like zero for a really long time. First, as a result of the higher interest rates. Okay, so they're referring to the recent raise of the interest rates going on. Longer term maturity assets acquired by banks with interest rates were lower are now worth less than their face values. The result is that most banks have some amount of unrealized losses on securities. The total of these unrealized losses, including securities that are available for sale or held to maturity, was about $620 billion at year-end 2022. Unrealized losses on securities have meaningfully reduced the reported equity capital of the banking industry as a whole. Wow. The match was lit when SVB announced Wednesday, March 9th, that it had effectively sold all its available for sale securities and needed to raid fresh capital because of large unrealized losses from its mortgage bond portfolio. So it's really the fluctuation in the interest rates that causes the problem in the value of the bonds. Thank you, Yonkers Cast, for your super chat. I appreciate it. He says, maybe I start bringing my money here. That's right. Invest in dip and dot coin. That's the future. I see dip out there lying on the chair. He's sunning himself with his warm belly open and fluffy. That is attack position. As you guys well know, if you're familiar with cats, he is the future. He will never let you down. Unlike the U S fiscal system. All right, so let's continue on here. In a news release Wednesday, SVB said it had sold substantially all of its available for sale securities. The company said it decided to sell the holdings and raise fresh capital because we expect continued higher interest rates, yep, pressured public and private markets, and elevated cash burn levels from our clients as they invest in their businesses. Because the economy is bad, basically. They are dipping into their capital. On Thursday morning, the financial press widely reported SVB's need for nude capital, new, not nude, (laughs) new capital, and short sellers were all over the stock. The CEO's disastrous don't panic call later that morning only heightened the fears and undermined confidence in the bank. Right. Really interesting, contradictory um, factor when the CEO comes out and says things like, don't worry about it, calm down, everything's fine. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, red alert, red alert, everything's not fine. Go get your money out of the bank, time to freak out. Everybody stay calm, everybody stay calm. It's very much like the office scene for sure. Let me see what our next article is here. We're not going to read all of these articles. Oh yeah, Vivek Ramaswamy had something to say about this as well. He calls this rewarding bad behavior. Vivek Ramaswamy rips bailout of imprudent SVB tech clientele. So he is also roasting the clientele of the bank, which, as David Sachs was just saying in this article, is not really something that we should do. We should be placing the blame where it fully belongs. That is on the Biden administration. Let's see if we can get a quick summary from... um Yep, SVB doesn't deserve a bailout and isn't getting one. Oh, this is an old article. I remember initially Janet Yellen said he uh, the bank was not getting a bailout. SVB's stockholders, bondholders, and stock options are getting wiped out. The executives will spend years in litigation, may have stock sales clawed back. Anyone who thinks there's a moral hazard isn't paying attention. But it's important to understand that SVB's failure didn't arise from risky startups doing risky startup things. It arose from SVB's overexposure to boring old mortgage bonds, which were considered safe at the time SVB bought them. Right. This we learned in the other article. Perhaps this is why SVB had an A rating from Moody's and had passed all of its regulatory exams. What turned the mortgage bonds toxic? The most rapid rate tightening cycle we've seen in decades. Right. And this is because of the Biden administration's monetary policy. You can see the connection here between rapid rate hikes and unrealized losses in the banking system. Okay. So the funds rate starts to rise in 2016. 
falls back down at looks like the start of 2020 and then spikes insanely over into 2023. Here are unrealized gains, losses on investment securities. Holy cow, it's never been that bad, like ever since 2008. That's way worse than 2008. So what caused the rapid rate hikes? The worst inflation in 40 years, directly attributable to the Biden administration. And what caused that? Profligate spending and money printing coming out of Washington, all while Joe Biden, Janet Yellen, and Jerome Powell assured us inflation was transitory. Right. Absolute nonsense. I warned two years ago that pumping trillions of dollars of stimulus into an already hot economy was an unprecedented and likely dangerous experiment. But this was Bidenomics. And here's his tweet. That's right. From 2021, jobs report blows past expect- expectations as payrolls boom by 916, 991.69. 116,000. Sorry, I can't read numbers apparently in March. Bidenomics equals pumping trillions of dollars of stimulus into a rip-roaring economy. I'm not doing a, I'm not going to pretend I know what's going to happen next as far as I know we've never tried this before. So when Joe Biden says he's going to hold those responsible for this mess fully accountable, he had to start by looking in the mirror, but I'm sure that's not going to happen just as I'm sure the hunt for scapegoats is just beginning. I don't know. You guys let me know if you agree with David Sachs or if you agree with Vivek, because Vivek is making the case that these startups are really the issue. He says, would Biden have bailed out the uninsured depositors of no-name oil and gas bank in Oklahoma, wrote the entrepreneur and GOP presidential hopeful? Absolutely not. This is Silicon Valley tech cronyism in its ugliest form. And he may have a point there because I don't know if you guys noticed this, but Joe Biden jumped on this issue a heck of a lot faster than he jumped on Um, the whole East Palestine, Ohio thing. Like he responded to this crisis in a heartbeat, literally the next morning at 9 a.m. He still hasn't visited East Palestine. So he really cares about the tech bros. I think Vivek is correct, at least on this point. And the investors themselves were not at fault per se, but at the same time, the response they got was because of who they were. And I think that's a fair, fair argument to make. Oh yeah, Andy points out Barney Frank, a socialist, was on the board of SS, excuse me, SIVB. Not sure about that. I do know that Barney Frank was on the board of that bank in New York that was also shut down the next day. Serguro says a quick rise of Fed rates turned the bonds to trash. Exactly. Makes sense to me. And Andy says dollar sign dip dot coin rockets to the moon. Woo! Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey guys, this is a family show. That's right. The emperor's new clothes have been confiscated. Indeed, the emperor's new clothes were made out of fiat money. That's the real problem. That's the real pandemic is all of this fiat cash floating around. We need some actual, put us back on the gold standard, baby. That's absolutely ridiculous to see this stuff. The banking industry makes a lot of money by investing off of imaginary potential numbers. That's true. That is 100% true. JJR says, personally, I was thinking of investing in Batman trading cards. That's probably not a bad idea either. And the Fed and IRS says, Greg, not a bad idea. Andy says, yes, Cabbage Patch, but diversify with Garbage Pail Kids. And I'm really keen on Transformers Futures for sure. I hear good things about Bionicle as well. All right, let's talk about some more insane monetary policy. This one coming from California, which surprises no one. San Francisco is once again, or is continuing its uh, reparation proposal to give $5 million to each black person. So we read about this when they were first pitching it, but there's news about it today. So we'll recap exactly what's going on there. Progressive City's Board of Supervisors meeting to debate reparations recommendations despite backlash. So there's Geraldo. Interesting. (coughs) Excuse me. And Leo Terrell. 
Yep. Great commentator. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors is meeting Tuesday to review a proposal to dole out $5 million each to qualifying black residents in reparations as a way to make amends for slavery. California, for context, was literally never a slave state. Ever. Never. I don't know if you guys remember much about history, but California was home to the gold rush and there was a lot of like the uh, railroad. Um, there's a reason that California has a lot of Chinatowns because a lot of those workers were from China. But I digress. That's not who they're giving these reparations to. They're giving it to people who are supposedly affected by the chattel slavery of the early American years. At the board meeting, the city's African-American Reparations Advisory Committee will present the controversial idea along with dozens of other recommendations from its draft reparations plan released in December. The other recommendations range from offering grants to buy and maintain homes to exempting black businesses from paying taxes. Oh, I could see no way that would not end well. But the $5 million lump sum payment has garnered the most attention and controversy. The Board of Supervisors can vote to adopt all, none, or some of the committee's recommendations and even change them. Tuesday's hearing was originally scheduled for last month, but was postponed. You know what? I'm going to go back because I think... Yeah, so San Francisco's reparations plan proposes $5 million for black residents. We know this. All right, I want it from the most recent one. Yeah, San Francisco board open to reparations with $5 million payments. Getting closer to reparations for slavery and racism. Reparations for racism is an unbelievably slippery slope in a world where everything is a microaggression. That's a serious direction that we do not want to go in. And it's actually really interesting. I heard Michael Knowles say something the other day uh, on this vein, along this vein, because he was talking about reparations and he was like, look, we can pay you $5 million, but it means you can never talk about any of this stuff ever again. What do you guys think about that? I was like, that's actually not too bad of an idea, but it's incredibly expensive. There's this is absolutely untenable. There's no way to actually make this happen. I think San Francisco is insane. Let's see what their budget has been like. Hold on. Let me move some of these articles over a little bit and we will look up San Diego budget. San Diego budget over deficit. There we go. Financial officials offered grim projections for San Diego. Oh, that's San Diego. Oh my gosh. I don't know why I always get them confused. Mayor Breed orders belt tightening as city budget implodes. Fascinating. So you're telling me that their budget is freaking collapsing and they're still considering $5 million for every single African-American resident in their city, regardless of whether or not they even had relatives who were even affected by slavery. That's, that's, I mean, I honestly can't imagine a policy that shouts California more than that. Can you? Absolutely nuts. The banking industry makes a lot of money yep, by investing on things that don't exist. That's true as well. Does light skin count? I'm moving. So here's the problem. So something we learned when we were talking about this the first, uh, for the first time, excuse me, can't talk, um, was that you have to have lived in San Diego for something like either five or 10 years. Um, and honestly, I think that that's probably actually a really good policy because, you know, people are going to um, run over to California immediately. And like, everybody's like, yeah, okay. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, and it's true. This is going to return us to the one drop rule. If we're not careful, if we choose to go down this path, anyone who is even tangentially related to someone of an African descent is going to be eligible, right? As far as we know, I guarantee you people are going to find ways to take advantage of this. Like, there's really no way to say no one will ever take advantage of this. There's no way that, I mean, you can think that people are basically good and still understand that people take advantage of stuff like this all the time. 
Stuart, thank you for your super chat. He says, for dip and dot coins, the early bird and all that. Thank you very much. You now are the proud owner of one dip and dot coin, which is going to be incredibly valuable down the road as we seek uh, spiritual uplift from our dear pets as the economy goes to absolute garbage all around us. Yes, dip and dot coin to the moon. That's right. Barney is a dinosaur. That's right. When Andy has been saying when in Rome for everything lately, he's like, I've decided that I'm going to take this quote and turn it into my own thing that confuses our family down the road. And I was like, you're going to get, you're going to make our kids so confused. He's like, well, what can I say? When in Rome? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. So look forward to Andy saying all of that this evening for and more into the foreseeable future. Sir Potatoes, welcome. He says, hi, everyone. Keenan Smith says 5 million when in 10 years, it'll be worth 10K by then. That's a great point. That is a great point. Maybe they're doing this because they know how bad inflation is going to be. And he says there are probably a lot more slaves in California today than there were during the slavery era. That's right. We read an article from Abigail Schreier in um, City Journal called Predator's Paradise talking about all the laws that Scott Wiener has passed um, that make human trafficking doable. It makes sex trafficking doable. It puts, it makes, it turns people into victims in the name of wokeness. It's absolutely insane to me that people are actually okay with this, but they are. They're like, well, we're doing the right thing and it makes me feel good. So I'm not worried about it. Planet Fatness says, yo, 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 Planet Fatness. Sir Guru says, let it do it with their, let them do it with their own budget. I'm assuming they would. And goes on to say, don't bail them out though. Yeah. I don't know. And he says they're paying homeless people, I assume, too, right? They must be. If so, if you're black, buy a tent and go be homeless in San, San Francisco. Yep. Get your five million and dip out. U.S. taxpayers will bail, bail them out for sure. I'm not convinced. I don't think that there's enough. Well, let's do a little little bit of footwork here since we're, since we're journalists in the rough. Public approval of reparations. Um... Let's say national public approval of reparations. Views of reparations for slavery in the U.S. vary widely by race. Black and white Americans are far apart in their view of reparations for slavery. Of course they are. All U.S. adults, 68% say no, 30% say yes. White, 80% say no, 18% say yes. Black, 17% say no, 77% say yes. Hispanics are a little bit more balanced, but still majority say no. Same with Asian. So the ages, very interesting. The younger you go, the more people approve of the idea of reparations. Republican, lean Republican, obviously do not favor reparations. Even Democrats and lean Democrat, not fully convinced. 49% say no, 48% say yes. High school or less, strongly disapprove, probably because they know how hard it is to work in general for everybody, especially when you don't have a high education. Some college, still not a lot. Bachelors, lower income is more approving. Interesting. Middle income, upper income, don't like it for sure. Planet fatness. Say planet fatness. I did. I did indeed. I know what you're ripping on. (laughs) Show Shugino. Sugino. Andy walking into a gay bar when in Rome. See, that would actually be the correct context for that term. That is not what he's using it for. He's applying it to everything. It doesn't make any sense. Please make him stop. Views of reparations for slavery vary widely by race and ethnicity, especially between black and white Americans. Around three quarters of black adults say the descendants of people enslaved in the U.S., the descendants of people enslaved in the U.S. That is a very fine distinction that I don't think San Francisco is making. I think they're just saying 
African Americans deserve reparations. That is nuts. No one approves of that. I don't think that anyone is going to be okay with bailing them out. Not that it seems to matter to the federal government what we the people think they should do with our tax dollars, for sure. Racial purity will be bought into that. I completely agree. Noli says, I'm fourth generation Nigerian. There you go. If you can't beat them, join them, says Andy. <laughs> Wiener. <laughs> yeah, so Scott Wiener is a really, really interesting person. I got to show you his face. Let's look him up real fast. I know it's a bit of a distraction. I think I always spell his name wrong. I think it's W-I-E-N-E-R. Scott Wiener. Yes, Senator Scott Wiener. He looks like a Scott Wiener. And he does things that you would expect a Wiener to do. Like Anthony Wiener. I don't know if you remember Anthony Wiener. Let's see if we can look him up real fast. He looked the same way. Yep, yep. He looks like a Wiener. He looks like the kind of person who would do the kind of things that Anthony Wiener did. And Scott Wiener looks like the kind of person who would do the kind of things that Scott Wiener does. Because Scott Wiener was the one behind making it not illegal not to tell someone that you have AIDS. Oh gosh, Dave says, ha, I'm going to start saying that. Please don't mimic Andy. He is a very bad influence on all of you guys. Knock it off. It's no good. All right, you guys, we've talked about California, so we're thoroughly depressed. So now we're going to talk about something a little bit more uplifting and then a little inter-party drama. We're going to talk about Florida. It's time we joined, says Ron DeSantis, 25 other states to enact constitutional carry in Florida. I agree. Let's learn more from Ron DeSantis. Fighting crime is to protect Floridians' right to defend themselves. A constitutional right should not require a permission slip from the government. It is time we join 25 other states to enact constitutional carry in the state of Florida. I mean, yes. In fact, I'm way more in favor of constitutional carry than I am in favor of concealed carry. Or, sorry, in favor of open carry. I'm much more in favor of concealed carry than I am in favor of open carry. Because open carry is going to get more backlash. People are going to know that you're carrying a gun. Fine, whatever. It shouldn't make a difference. But if you're going to make a case that carrying a gun in public is safe, there is no better way to do it than by saying, hey, you know what? 75% of the people you're surrounded by every single day are carrying guns. And you know what? You've never been shot. In fact, no one around you has ever been shot because people are incredibly much less likely to attack you with a gun or even with a knife when they know that a significant percentage of the population might might be carrying. Now, if they can see it, that's different. If you can tell that someone's carrying a gun, you're going to know exactly where your enemy is. You're going to know where not to go. If you are, for example, trying to rob a bank, which you're probably not, because as we now know, there's no money there. But if you're trying to rob someone, you're going to stay away from someone who is visibly carrying a weapon. Now, if you don't know if the person you're trying to rob is armed, you're going to be much more careful. You're going to be a lot slower to draw a weapon on them because that is not in your best interest. So I love the idea of constitutional carry. I love the idea of concealed carry. I love that Florida is making this happen. I'm honestly kind of surprised it took them this long, but I think it's about time. This to me smells like DeSantis is gearing up to try to run in 2024, which we'll see what happens with that. 
Now, this is something interesting happening. Ron DeSantis has been hit with an ethics complaint from a Trump super PAC. Now, for a little bit of background, this is the pro-Trump super PAC in question. Pro-Trump Super PAC publishes donor credit card numbers. So this is what this was during the 2016 election. This is incompetent, and now they're going after DeSantis. So I'm really curious what happens with this. Let's read more. The primary pro-Trump Super PAC is filing a complaint with the Florida Ethics Commission. Curious what happens here. Over what it says is the governor's shadow presidential campaign. Oh my, that sounds so dangerous. Tallahassee, Florida. Donald Trump's allies are stepping up their battle with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, formally accusing him of violating state ethics and election laws with his shadow presidential campaign. Make America Great Again, Inc. is filing a 15-page complaint Wednesday with the Florida Commission on Ethics, a draft of which was obtained exclusively by NBC News. And you know who effing loves this? NBC News is over the moon about this. They are popping champagne bottles. They could not be happier that this inter-party drama is happening. I guess I'm glad that we're giving them red meat because this is how it's going to be up until 2024. Since Trump announced in November that he's again running for president, he's grown more publicly hostile toward DeSantis, a former political protege now expected to be his chief rival in the Republican primaries. That includes branding DeSantis with Trump's trademark nicknames and trying to frame him as a political moderate out of step with the GOP base. But the complaint is the first time Trump supporters, Trump's supporters have elevated the feud from campaign trail rhetoric to formal illegal fight. Adding this to the list of frivolous and politically motivated attacks, it's inappropriate to use state ethics for a partisan purpose, said Taryn Fenske, DeSantis communications director. Trump's allies face a tall order in getting the commission to investigate DeSantis, considering he appointed five of the nine members. Yeah, that'll be fun. In theory, if he did face penalties, they could include fines, public censure, ballot disqualification, removal from office, or impeachment. Nothing's going to happen. The draft complaint details steps DeSantis has... The, sorry, the draft complaint details steps DeSantis has taken in recent months that appear to orchestrate a coming presidential bid. And I have to stop you right there. What is wrong for set with setting yourself up strategically for a presidential run? I'm asking sincerely because I genuinely don't know. I know that you can't announce too early. I know that there's certain restrictions on how you can raise money if you are, if there's like an, a, an idea that you might be running for president. But if setting yourself up for a political, like a political orientation is an issue, then I feel like everyone is probably at risk for the same things. It says DeSantis is widely expected to run for president, but has not yet formally announced. The complaint alleges that he has already checked all the boxes for someone considering a run for the White House, including making stops in early primary states. How dare he? He has a book that he's promoting. Writing a book, his is titled The Courage to be Free, raising tens of millions of dollars to go into state-level committee that could be transferred to a federal super PAC, and watching a constellation of supporter-led super PACs and an outside nonprofit group pop up, some with a stated intention of getting DeSantis to run for president. Okay, none of this seems exactly like a smoking gun. I'm just very curious what happens with this. I don't see it being successful. I know they call him Teflon Don because nothing seems to stick to him, but now I'm also curious if anything that he throws at someone else is likely to stick to them. So we'll see. The pro-Trump super PAC says that those steps, when taken together, violate a handful of Florida laws about office holders accepting illegal gifts. 
This letter provides ample evidence to support a finding of probable cause by the Florida Commission on Ethics that Governor DeSantis, in concert with certain associated political committees, political consultants, and a 501c4 organization, has solicited and received millions of dollars worth of illegal gifts in violation of Florida state ethics laws and the Florida Constitution. The draft complaint reads, so DeSantis isn't even facing pushback from the Democrats at this point. He is facing pushback from his own ostensible party which is really kind of telling of the current state of the Republican Party. I am not very impressed, honestly, with any of this stuff either, because I'm going to explain to you exactly what Laura Loomer is talking about here. So Laura Loomer tweeted this picture of the DeSantis team with Dave Rubin, Scott Wilson, I believe, Carol. Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot her last name. She's fantastic. Carol Markowitz, pardon me, Buck Sexton, and then I think that's Dave Reaboy. I think that's Christina Pushaw. I believe so. I don't recognize her instantly from her picture, unfortunately, because I don't see a lot of pictures of her face. She says, Laura Loomer, glow blowism, which is not clever. So let's look at this added context note. Photo is photoshopped, reddening Christina Pushaw's knees. The original photo is linked below. I do find that helpful. You know why? Because Laura Loomer is ostensibly a Republican. She's ostensibly fighting on the side of the right. I don't think that's what she's going for here. Yep. Investigative journalist, author, former Project Veritas operative. Oh yeah. America first conservative, former congressional candidate, feisty Jewess. All right. Good for you, Laura. Happy to hear it. And this person retweeted or tweeted at her pathetic Laura. And here's just a picture Christina Pushaw, who looks absolutely normal, not reddened in any way, obviously, because it's absolutely insane what Laura is alleging here. And it's so, I hate this stuff. Okay. I'm going to break it down for you guys. I caught a lot of flack over the Project Veritas thing because I don't like drama like that. I just don't like it. I don't like it from any angle. And I feel like, especially within a company, you need to take care of that ish on your own terms. I did not like the Christina Buttons drama because again, that should be taken care of within your own company. Now, this kind of thing is deadly to the future of our country because we need a cohesive team of people who care more about the values that they're promoting than about their guy winning an election. Okay. If you care about the overarching values that I personally, as an actual conservative, truly, deeply, sincerely care about, you're not going to, you're not going to do stuff like this because this smacks of leftism. This reads like a Democrat hit piece on Christina Pushaw, the kind of easily discountable thing that's so easily disproven. It's clearly a Photoshop. You can tell, but this is the quality of person who is supporting Trump right now. I am disgusted disgusted. I have never liked Trump less than when I watch his followers do ish like this. That's absolutely vomitous to me. I hate this kind of thing. I hate when the left does it, but it's even worse coming from the right. It's nauseating. It truly is because this is not how you win. You don't win by cutting other people in your own organization down and you be tribal all you want. You say, look, I'm on the right. I care about the right, all these right-wing policies. Once you get to the point where you're like, I care about this guy. This guy is the only person who can save any of us. I think you're crazy. I'm sorry. Again, this gets back to what I said earlier about a single point of failure. When you choose not to go with a single politician, 
Because first of all, politicians are meant to serve you. They're not your friends. They're not your gods. They work at the behest of the people ostensibly to do what they ask them to do. When you say, you know what? I don't care about a single person. I care about the values that are behind for example, this person, I care about the, the values that somebody like Donald Trump represents, or I care about the values that somebody like Ron DeSantis represents. That is an overarching thing that you want to push forward. That's more important to you than this kind of nonsense, because this is nonsense. And as Andy keeps saying, this is a family-friendly show, and I'm really, really working to keep my language family-friendly. I hate this stuff. I hate it. This is the death of the Republican Party if we continue to push this kind of thing. I'm just glad that Laura Loomer doesn't have any kind of clout whatsoever. And I'm looking forward to her becoming obsolete pretty much immediately because this kind of stuff, it's not going to fly. It's not. And it's just, it's not the way forward. Okay. I wrote an article about the anti-feminist female commentators I see talking about how terrible feminism is and how they're one of the good ones and all this other stuff. All they're doing is playing the flip side of feminism. They're saying, yeah, I know they said that men were bad, but you know who's actually bad? It's women. And yeah, I'm one of the good ones. So you should follow me because I'm great. I hate it. You cannot, and I use the term hate measuredly and with an awareness of the irony of what I'm about to say, you cannot use hate to defeat hate. This is something that Martin Luther King Jr. was entirely correct about. And Sean, sorry, um, Ibram X. Kendi, not Sean King, was not right about. Ibram X. Kendi believes that the solution to racism is more racism. False, provably false, incorrect. You guys all know that's incorrect. Everyone with a grain of common sense knows that's incorrect. You don't fix a problem by applying more of the same problem. Now, you can assuage some of your resentment that way. You can get a sense of revenge. You can kind of fix your own feelings about the issue by saying, ha, we did it and we did it better. And especially for anti-feminist commentators, they can just say, ha, yeah, men do it better than women do. We can hate them better than they can hate us. That's a dangerous road to go go down. That is not the path to actually fixing the problem. That doesn't take care of anything. It just prolongs the issue. And people do it so that they get likes, clicks, retweet, uh, retweets, and online clout. I can't stand it because to me, it just looks like a crumbling from the inside out of the people who are supposed to be on my side, right? Okay, so this is coming from the right, which makes me hate it even more. When it comes from the left, fine. I don't like anything the left does. That's not a big deal. I can just say, look, it's my enemies. I don't like them. Neener, neener. Be all tribalist, whatever. But when it's coming from your own side, when we hold them to a higher standard, it makes it harder to watch them act like Laura Loomer is acting, like Roger Stone is acting, like filing briefs against, you know, potential political opponents. That's just, that to me strikes me as incredibly sleazy. If you can't run against them, just say it and drop out of the race. Don't try to pretend that they did something wrong. Just tell them that, uh, you know, they're better than you are and you give up. Don't try to throw legal stuff at them if you don't actually have a basis to go from. Because I will tell you right now, I do not believe anything's going to come from that thing that the pro-Trump super PAC filed against DeSantis. But I will stop ranting. That's just my two cents. I'll relax about it. It's just really, really frustrating to see this kind of tribal bickering going on on the right. Really kind of irritating. All right. So the last thing that I said in our title we would talk about, we're going to talk about how Netflix rescued themselves from wokeness because they actually did something really interesting. It's actually kind of positive news for from one of the companies that everyone thought was going woke and would therefore go broke. Okay, great. I got to replace this. Sorry, refresh this. 
Let's read the title and the bullet points. How Netflix's woke reversal saved it from going broke. Interesting. Streaming giant stopped the rot by dumping right on shows about male pregnancy and backing Dave Chappelle's confrontational comedy. Subscription numbers took a hit in the first half of 2022, losing about 1,170 million, but then added about 7.6 million subscribers in the fourth quarter. Not sure about that first number. That's kind of weird. Netflix saw an uptick after canceling some of its progressive programming. That should be a sign, right? I really feel like other companies should be taking note of this. The streaming service is now at about 230.7 million paid subscribers. Netflix's share price went from 230.05 in October 2022 to 299.93 in March 2023. Let me see if I can get this so we can see the whole article. There we go. Maybe. Maybe because it loves to pop up that stupid ad thing. Okay. Netflix appears to steadily be climbing its way out of financial ruin after canceling woke programming and deciding to back controversial figures like Dave Chappelle. I remember when they backshaped Dave Chappelle with his special and I said, oh gosh, we'll see how long this lasts because I was really convinced that they were just going to back down immediately because they'd been in this woke lane for too long. Now, really, really interesting. And I want to leave you guys on this note of encouragement instead of my ridiculous angry rant from earlier. You'll have to forgive me. It's just been welling up for a really long time. It's frustrating to see this stuff. I wish that we would pull together and figure out that our values are much more important than our enemies. But I digressed. I said I would. So here we are. The streaming service took a hit in the first half of 2022, losing about, uh, I want to say 170 million subscribers as rivals such as Paramount and Disney Plus ranked them in. The huge decline was seen by some as a direct consequence of the company's late response to demands from its viewers to tone down their woke agenda. The Netflix started bouncing back after the cancellation of some of its progressive programming flops, including Meghan Markle's Pearl, Dr. Ibram Kendi's anti-racist babies, and he's expecting, which depicts a man who becomes pregnant. Netflix added about 7.6 million subscribers in the fourth quarter of 2022, which was higher than forecasted and is now at about 230.7 million paid subscribers. The share price went from 230.05. We read that earlier. All right. So here is, yeah, this is the um, Asian show that was about a gentleman who became pregnant. Very interesting. Wow. That's like a huge spike for them. So they went from All right. So over the course, okay. So this is overall, that makes sense. So they were starting to flatline here. Very interesting. And then they started to recover a little bit. Smart. Very, very smart. What I was going to say, this note of encouragement I wanted to leave you on instead of my angry rant was that I think that people are starting to notice that being progressive and woke is not going to work in the long term. Dave Chappelle figured it out early on. Joe Rogan figured it out. Joe Rogan just never really backed down. He made a few moderate apologies over some dumb stuff that was taken out of context. But then we had Chris Rock most recently in his comedy special coming out and talking about how Meghan Markle's crazy. She just wants to be a victim. Provably correct. Obviously, there's no way to disprove that in the least. But um, when Netflix is starting to do this kind of thing, it really gives me a great deal of hope. Oh, the other thing we saw too was... um. Of course, we saw Ben Stiller and Robert Downey Jr. refuse to apologize for Tropic Thunder, which is great because occasionally people just decide it's time for us to try to cancel Tropic Thunder and it never effing works. And it's hilarious because they never give up trying and it never freaking works. I think it's great. Honestly, it's like, oh, it's our annual time to try to cancel Tropic Thunder, which everybody knows is incredibly, you know, unorthodox. It makes fun of everything and everyone. 
And I think it's great. And everybody else does too. And there's such a cultural clout there that you can't take away by by saying woke things at it. It doesn't cancel the fact that it was a huge hit that people consider it like almost like a cult classic, except that it was actually super, super popular at the time too. And it gives me a great deal of optimism for the future because people are starting to notice that wokeness doesn't pay off in the end. And they are starting to hopefully kind of notice that being woke does equate to going broke. And I'm very glad that Netflix decided to stop this. It almost, almost makes me want to resubscribe to Netflix because we got rid of them a long time ago. I think after the cuties debacle, I doubt that they would put cuties forward at this point for any amount of money. Um, and honestly, good, good. You should not be funding anything like cuties. You should not be putting forward stuff like Ibram Kendi. You shouldn't be pushing stuff like Meghan Markle's ridiculous victimhood stuff. And you just shouldn't be trying to be woke because it doesn't work well in the long term for capitalism. The free market as such as such as it is anymore. And I will say this about streaming services. Streaming services are actually a pretty good demonstration of the um, free market at work because you have so many options. It's great. Admittedly, a lot of them are really pretty woke, but if we have like the Daily Wire giving a kind of an alternative or at least a patch over until we have something more workable like Netflix, who is fully non-woke, then I think it's going to be okay. I think that they're going to start sending the signal like Chris Chris Rock, I think is going to really start sending the signal that it is okay to not be woke. It's okay to push back on this stuff. It's okay to be a little bit transgressive and not kowtow to these ridiculous ideologies, excuse me, I have hiccups. Um, but I'm really hopeful for the future. And I really hope that more and more people will start to engage with that as we go forward. I know that this woke stuff can't last forever. It just can't. It really is a snake that eats itself. And I'm so, so, so happy to see. First of all, I deeply, deeply appreciate um, Libs of TikTok. I was going to show you guys this video from her. Her description is teacher at, at AIM school suggests she wouldn't notify parents if their child is transitioning. A kid can be living as identifying as trans or non-binary in school and they'll keep it a secret from parents. They're telling you what they're doing. They're not afraid and it's going to be their downfall. And I personally am so unbelievably here for it. You don't even know because when they are just coming out and telling you exactly what they're doing and admittedly they're throwing a fit at libs of TikTok for showing people what they're saying. But at the same time, it's like, you're the one who said it. You said it not me. You're unafraid because there has been no cultural pushback up until now because the conservative movement has not been properly oriented toward fighting this stuff. We've been very much in the lane of live and let live, whatever people do in their free time. Now we're like, oh my gosh, this is this is affecting our children. They are trying to socially transition our children and then ultimately forcibly gender reassign them or something down the road. I don't know what they have in mind exactly, but it's not good. It's dishonest at least. It's completely disingenuous. It's clearly part of a larger Marxist agenda, whether they know that or not. But all of that to say, I'm glad that they feel so forthright to talk about it. I don't want these ideas shoved under the rug. I want everyone to engage with them. And I really want companies like Netflix and I want comedians like Chris Rock and I want comedians like Dave Chappelle to stand strong. I want actors like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and Ben Stiller to refuse to be silenced and to refuse to be canceled. Because the fact of the matter is, if you are a super famous actor or a super famous com- comedian and you say, you know what? I don't think I am going to be canceled today. 
They can't do anything to you, okay? They're not going to be able to take away your advertisers or whatever. You've already earned millions and millions of dollars, especially for people like Ben Stiller and Robert Downey Jr. They are in the perfect position to say, no, I don't think I'm going to go along with what you say. I'm just not going to. It's not interesting to me. It's so boring. I like comedy. I like to engage with the world at large, so I'm just not going to be shut down. And I personally view that as such a positive thing. Really looking forward to the future. I know this can't last forever. It is incredibly depressing sometimes to look at, but nothing lasts forever. It really doesn't. And whether that's a positive or a negative, that's the way it is. Hopefully the future will be brighter, better for our children. But at the same time, I don't wish good times to make weak people. I wish the proper balance of difficulty and good times to make sure that people are fully balanced. All right, you guys, that was ridiculous ranting. Sorry about that. Andy says you never go full woke. That is right. That is a modified quote from Tropic Thunder. Andy says most people probably added Disney Plus just for The Mandalorian and when it ended, they canceled. Yes, I heard heard a lot about that. COVID-19 says you're nail, nailing, nailing it, Lydia. Thank you very much. Sorry, I forgot how to read there. Stuart says got rid of Netflix after cuties, but saw the wokeness way before that. Yeah, for sure. Money talks. Who would have thought? Says Planet Fatness. I completely agree. Keenan says politicians should read Gulliver's Travels. Yes, they should also read a modest proposal and they should figure out that it's satire and they should be okay with it. Danzig Cat says it works for a portion of the voters. Not sure what you're referencing. Keenan says kind of like some world leaders have said it was a final solution. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Keenan says didn't they didn't they say fixing racism? They said answer to racism was more. Not sure. Holding your own side for account to account is good. Attacking them, not so much. That's a great distinction, and I appreciate that. You do want to hold your side accountable, but that does not look like political attacks from super PACs. It looks like saying, hey, you know what? Make sure that you're following our own values. I don't know if you guys are familiar. I don't know how many of you guys have like a religious background. I was raised in a Protestant church. I was raised in the Presbyterian church, and I really, really liked, even when I was younger, um, it really resonated with me, the idea of church discipline. And what the Bible tells you to do is to go directly to the person who's wronged you and talk about it to them. If they choose not to remedy their behavior, if they're continuing to do something that harms you, you need to take it the next step up. You need to go to like an elder or a deacon in the church and talk to them about it. And then you can get the pastor involved. And then you just slowly kind of escalate it through there. But you always start by going directly to the person who's offended you. And I find that to be exceptionally good advice, even in the business world. Like if Christina Buttons had a problem with Matt Walsh, you know who she should have talked to? Not Twitter. She should have walked her happy butt across the hallway and talked to Matt Walsh. And he actually tweeted about that. He was like, you sat right across the hall from me for months and you never said anything to me about this. If you had an issue with the way I was doing things, you could have easily taken it up with me. That's not holding people accountable. Going right to Twitter and getting questions from the Daily Beast immediately. People who are like, oh, this is so interesting. I would love to watch the Daily Wire burn and crash. That is not okay. That is using your position to sow discord and drama. The Bible does not like sowing discord and neither do I. I have probably what I would consider a righteous indignation against people who choose to sh choose to sow discord where there doesn't need to be any. I think that's partly why I hate drama so much. There just often doesn't need to be drama and we make it when there doesn't need to be. And it's just like, what's the point? I have multiple cirrhosis, okay? I know that my life is going to be shorter than most people's, but every single person on earth needs to understand they don't have a lot of time on earth, okay? 
So if you choose to take that time and spend it sowing drama between different political opponents, I feel incredibly bad for you. And not just that, you're actively making the world a worse place with the short time that you're given on earth. Okay. I have a serious issue with that. I have a moral objection to that. Um, and I don't like seeing that from the right any more than I like seeing it from the left. Okay. We can certainly be better. We believe in wonderful values, but we can't promote those values if all we're ever doing is bickering with each other. Can we stop? It's ridiculous. It's such a waste of time. So I digress. It's a little bit after seven. Thank you guys all so much for joining me. Thank you all for your super chats. Again, really appreciate those. Dip in dot low, love those for sure. We give them lots of treats. Don't worry about that. Um, oh, Keenan, I saw that comment you took back. I love it. Appreciate it. And he says, every time a conservative fights with another conservative, a daily beast writer gets her wings. That's a great way of putting that. That was so funny to me because Christina Buttons was put out this ridiculous, dramatic piece. She published a video with a thumbnail with her glorious face. And of course, Matt Walsh and like Michael Knowles to draw, draw clicks and viewers. And then she ended it with a screenshot from her DMs where a Daily Beast writer was hitting her up. And she's like, this is exactly what I didn't want. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? You knew this would happen. You knew this would happen. Give me a break. All right. Psycho Clown says, good night, Liz and Andy. And I will wrap it here. Calm myself down a little bit. Maybe go drink some hot tea or hot cocoa. Oh, we got, got to get Andy some chamomile tea. You guys have a good night. I will see you all tomorrow. Same time. We are ultimately going to change our start time to 7 p.m. Stay tuned for that. That's going to be awesome. Appreciate that for sure. Letting me know on my Twitter poll. If you guys haven't chipped in on that, go tell me when is better for you, 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We need the lid coin. No, you get dipping dot coin. That's the best. Keenan says, love the therapy session over here. Yeah, well, my voice is really hoarse now, so I hope you all appreciated that. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. I'll see you all tomorrow. Until then, bye, guys. How's it going?